So, it's now time for our Bible reading, and today we're going to be having that through the means of a video. This is going to be a story that is very familiar to many of you. Uh, and over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, people that Jesus encountered on some of his journeys, some of his, some of his walking about and ministry, uh, and what happened. And today's story is the woman at the well. Are you ready, Sharon? Yep, hopefully. Here we go. Now, this is a children's video, so remember what I said about worship being a choice. You can choose to engage with the video and the story told for children. This is Jesus, who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love and healed people from their sickness. He did many miracles like calming storms and even raised people from the dead. One day, Jesus was on his way to Galilee and had to pass through Samaria. Jesus came to a Samaritan village and stopped at the well to rest. His disciples went to the village to buy some food, so Jesus was alone. At about noon, a Samaritan woman came to the well to get water. Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. The woman was surprised because Jesus was a Jew, and Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. The woman was confused and asked where Jesus would get water like that when he didn't even have a bucket to pull water from the well. Jesus said to her, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. The woman asked Jesus for this water so she would never be thirsty again. Jesus then showed the woman that he knew things about her that she never told him. And the woman said, you must be a prophet. Then she asked Jesus why Samaritans worshiped in one place while Jews worshiped in another place. Jesus told her that there would be a time coming when it wouldn't matter where people worshiped. He said, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, Jesus' disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but they were too nervous to ask him why. The woman ran back to the village and told everyone to come see Jesus. She said, He told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay. So he stayed for two days, and many more heard what he had to say and believed in him. 
they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Uh, Father God, we give you thanks for Nigel, for his preparation, for his reflection on this passage, for the way that you've been speaking to him through that. And we pray now, Lord, that your spirit would rest upon him, that he would uh, speak forth those words that you've given him with boldness and courage. We pray, Lord, that you give us ears to hear you speaking to us through him. Amen. Amen. Well, you've made several good choices today. (laughs) And one of them is not going away on holiday this weekend, a soggy August holiday weekend. I get told off at home because I often say that August is the first month of autumn. (laughs) But I've been proved wrong, it's actually July. (laughs) Well, As we think about this passage, which wasn't read to us, but we've seen on the screens, the question arises, why does Jesus always do this? Why does he always surprise people? What's he playing at? Why is he surprising a woman who's an outcast? There were perfectly respectable leaders in Samaria if he wanted to go and announce salvation to them. They had places of worship dedicated to hearing God's word. So why did he go and surprise an outcast? But that's Jesus. He's always surprising. And I think over these next four August Sundays, we'll meet people whom Jesus surprised. Zacchaeus, the most unpopular man in society. Mary and Martha, whose dying brother Lazarus, Jesus did nothing to help. The Emmaus Road disciples, and Jesus didn't even introduce himself to them. And today he surprises an outcast Samaritan woman. Jesus is unpredictable and full of surprises. And talking of surprises, I just want to mention those who are joining us on our live stream this morning. The fact that you're not here in person doesn't mean you're any less part of our reflective family. And I know that one couple who are watching this morning are Steve and Pauline Johnson. They join us online on Sundays, but they also join our home group on Zoom week by week. Now, why do I mention them? Well, it's because, Steve, you are passionate about this Samaritan woman. I couldn't let it pass without giving you a mention. At home group, your insights into her plight, her vulnerabilities, and the gracious dealings that Jesus have with her strike a chord with me. So really, it should be you rather than me presenting this this morning, but with the Lord's help, we'll see what we can do. So Belinda and I had flown from Melbourne in Australia to Hobart in Tasmania to visit some friends. And we'd only just arrived in their house and they said to us, we're off to a home group supper tonight. Do you want to come? The lady who was hosting this supper had on her bookcase 
some family photos of her, her husband, and her children. It looked an idyllic, happy family. So where is your husband? He's in prison. What do you say? The poor lady left on her own. And as Jesus talks to this Samaritan lady, she says to him, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right, because you've had five and you're not yet married to the sixth. What would she say? How would she respond? I imagine, although it's not there in the text, that there was an awkward silence at that point and probably a quick change of subject. It was a surprising encounter because the Jews and the Samaritans had a hostile relationship. A thousand years earlier, Solomon's unwise son Rehoboam had caused the country to split into two. And so in the north you have the kingdom of Israel centered around 10 tribes with their capital in Samaria. And to the south are the, is the kingdom of Judah consisting of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, based in Jerusalem. The northern king said to his people, you don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore to worship. I've set up places of worship for you in Dan and Bethel. And those northern tribes, they began to intermarry with the Assyrians. And so the Jews unkindly called them half-breeds. And from then on, things went downhill until centuries later, the two people are sworn enemies. So it's surprising that Jesus should be in Samaria at all. And he stops by the well of Jacob in Sychar, better known in the Old Testament as Shechem. Or if you were there today, it'll be the city of Nablus on the West Bank. But more surprising than being in Samaria is that Jesus breaks one of the great taboos. He talks to a woman who's out to collect water. It's midday. Nobody goes to collect water at midday. Early morning, late afternoon, yes. Midday, no. In the heat of the day, the woman is there on her own. And the reason is explained as Jesus reveals her marital setup. It points to somebody who's an outcast. Other women wouldn't have accepted her into normal society. Through our 21st century eyes, we might say that she'd been promiscuous. But there might be another perspective. We need to take ourselves back in time to when the place of women in society was different to what we're used to. You only need to go back to the 19th century and the brilliant classical composer Robert Schumann. In his short 46 years, he wrote some sublime piano music, but his life was riddled with dysfunction and mental health issues. But today, Robert Schumann is revered as one of our great classical composers. But until the last 30 years, Almost nobody had heard of his wife, Clara Schumann, a woman of equal, if not superior, talent as a composer and a concert pianist. 
a woman who financially kept the family through her husband's ineptitude, a woman who some now suspect actually composed some of Robert's music. But who is famous? It's Robert, not Clara. Except she does get the last laugh because her face is the face on the back of the last hundred Deutschmark banknote ever printed before the euro comes in. Fame at last, but not in her lifetime. And so to the woman at the well, a woman with no name. History doesn't even name her. She probably wasn't a provocative siren as she is caricatured. She was probably more likely abused, abused by men, discarded, rejected, and treated as an outcast. She's more likely a victim than a perpetrator, but an outcast nonetheless. And society has many such people. But Jesus doesn't pass by. He stops, he cares, he talks, he offers life, and he offers hope. He surprises an outcast. Jesus comes to those who are his enemy. He comes to the taboo, he comes to those in society those that society has judged as outcasts. And surprisingly, he loves them. And Jesus comes to turn the world upside down. He works from the bottom out, not from the top down. We would have gone to the articulate, the influential, to the wealthy, not Jesus. Surprisingly, he comes to the wounded, to the marginalized, to the outcast. He said, it's not the well who need a doctor. So he comes to me and he comes to you because we are the outsiders, the marginalized, the ones on the sideline. He comes to the foolish, not the wise, the brokenhearted, not the altogether. And so the woman asks Jesus, Give me this living water. Something has stirred. Jesus has touched a need. You have to be aware of your need before you will accept. If you're not thirsty, you won't drink. And the call of Jesus is to the thirsty, to the desperate, to those with nowhere to turn, those without hope. In the mid-1990s, uh, Belinda and I were on a family holiday in the French Alps. Our girls were in their early teens. And it was a hot day, and we decided we would hike up to a mountain lake, high up in the mountains. We were reasonably well-equipped, bottles of water for the hot weather. But as we climbed higher and higher, it got hotter and hotter, and the mountain got steeper and steeper. And it seemed further than we'd anticipated. And after what seemed like hours, we eventually arrived at this idyllic lake. What we hadn't realized is that we'd drunk nearly all our water. Still, there was the lake. But when we looked in the lake, we realized it wasn't for drinking. 
So we headed back downhill, and the girls were drinking the remaining water we had. And halfway down, I could start to feel the effects of dehydration. My temperature was rising, and I was sweating less. Was this starting to get serious? We then came across a mountain stream, flowing steeply, enticingly, burbling down the precipitous mountainside. And I splashed my face in the cool water. But it wasn't enough. I had to drink. And like Gideon's men, I buried my face in the water and drank copiously. My mind was saying to me, there are health dangers here. But my body was saying, I need water. When real thirst grips you, you have to act. And though Jesus was parched himself, he offers the Samaritan woman living water, water that will quench her inner thirst. She's been looking for excuses. She says to Jesus, you've got nothing to draw this water with. The well is deep. But Jesus says to her, this living water, with this living water, you will never thirst again. What, never thirst again? No, never thirst again. That was one for the oldies. And so she responds, let me have this water. In the same way, Jesus touches our thirst. But it's not a thirst for water, it's a thirst for living water. A thirst for the Spirit of God which flows from his heart into ours. Because if God isn't present in our life, there's something missing. If he's not at the center of our worship, of our purpose, then our lives are dry. We are dying without hope. But Jesus invites us to drink, to taste and see that the Lord is good. The longing is fulfilled. It brings joy. It brings excitement. It brings an outpouring. And this excited lady, I think, runs back to town. And she's telling everyone she's met. They come to see the one who has caused this surprising change in their outcast neighbor. And that's something else Jesus does. He calls us out and then he sends us back. He sends us back where, we've ca where we came from. Now, I admire the monastic tradition, but God's calling for us is not to withdraw, but it's to be salt and light. It's to go back. Jesus calls us out, and then he sends us back. So it seems everyone was surprised by Jesus. The woman was surprised that a Jewish man should talk to her. The town of Sychar are surprised at the news of this stranger. And the disciples are utterly perplexed by the whole thing. All because Jesus talks to an outcast stranger. And as Jesus is drawn to this woman, so he is drawn to you. Because you are his kind of person. I don't know for sure, but in Down End this morning, there are probably more than 20,000 people. And yet less than one in 40 will be in any church this morning, less than 3%. But you're here, and you are the one that he has chosen to speak to. You are the outcast at the well, and Jesus has come specifically to speak with you.
Maybe you identify with this outcast. Maybe you feel that you don't measure up. Perhaps you're out of step. Perhaps you don't fit in. Perhaps you just feel different. And so you identify with somebody who is an outcast, someone who wasn't part of the team. But the surprise for you this morning is that in your oddity, Jesus loves you. It's because you're different that he comes to you. It's not your quirkiness that drives Jesus away. It's the very reason that he comes to you in love and compassion. Last Monday afternoon uh, here in the church at Ruth Pember's funeral service, Dan spoke about the Good Samaritan, another Samaritan. And Dan challenged us to look at the Good Samaritan differently, to look differently at the actors in the cast of that play. Because normally we cast ourselves as the Good Samaritan, the one who has been sent to go and rescue those in the ditch of life. But Dan suggested that we should look at it a different way, that we should see Jesus as the Good Samaritan, and it's we who are in need of rescue from the ditch of life. And isn't that so right? Because just like the Good Samaritan, Jesus was the outsider. He was the outcast. Remember the words of Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus has sat where we sit. He's walked where we walk because he's not one of the establishment. He was an outcast. John says that even his own people threw him out. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Not welcomed by his own people. The very definition of an outcast. Homeless. Jesus says the foxes have dens and the birds have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Born in a stable, lived as a nomad, crucified, buried in a borrowed tomb, Jesus knows what it's like to be you. Jesus knows what it's like to be an outsider, to be rejected. And as with this woman with no name, Jesus offers us living water. Like the outcast at the well, he knows every intimate detail of our life, and yet he loves us. He wants us. He wants to give us his name, have us as part of his family. He wants to give us the joy and acceptance that's found nowhere else. I'm quoting Dan again, I hope he doesn't mind, but on Thursday he was talking about the feeding of the 5,000 and how Jesus wasn't wearied by the crowd. Sometimes we think we can weary Jesus. We don't weary him. He's passionate about us. He longs for us. And so it's to you that Jesus comes offering living water. Not to your friends and family, but it's you, on the edge, on the sideline. He's not forgotten those others because the living water he gives you will spill out to them. Because the living water wasn't for this lady at the well alone. 
It was for her community. It was for you. It was for me. So Jesus makes the insignificant significant. He came from glory to spend from the glory of eternity to spend just 30 odd years here on earth and only three years ministering and yet he spends a whole afternoon with a lady with no name, an outcast. And John spends a whole chapter of his gospel relating this story, the insignificant, has become significant. And although you might feel marginalized, you might feel insignificant, surprisingly, you are slap bang in the middle of God's plans. You're loved, you're accepted, and he's preparing you and sending you out. It's a surprise, but it's the way Jesus does things. He might just be taking you by surprise this morning, but that's Jesus. He's predictably unpredictable. He comes this morning to turn your world upside down. Jesus knows what you need. Will you let him surprise you? Let's spend a moment in prayer. Father God, we are so insignificant. We are the ones on the sidelines. We are the ones that people just pass by and don't notice. And yet you stop for us. You want to speak with us. More than that, you've chosen us. There's no rhyme or reason to that. It's just surprising love. Lord, we respond to your love. Will you take me as I am? Will you use me as you will? Will you make me daily more like Jesus, eager to serve him, eager to be like him, eager to speak for him? Would my love for you bring glory to your name and fruit for your kingdom? In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.